there's he, this guy's going there, and uh, I didn't I didn't go there. I'd already been done my seminary, but I started that one. And a couple years after, a young man expressed interest in it, and so we got him a mentor who was working with him at North Heights. And after a, a few months, I was getting words back from this mentor and also someone who was connected with us, Gene Bearden, some of you know that name. Uh, they were saying, we're having a tough time dealing with this person. And so I said, what are you, what are you uh, having difficulty with? Because we wanted to know if we should take this person in. And uh, so they started naming some things, and I said, well, I think we better sit down and talk. So we brought this person in, met over at Roseville. Uh, I'm going to be over here, uh, Chris, so uh, I'm going to draw something here. So uh, I met with him and his wife and Gene and a couple other people, and I said, uh, I'm just going to draw a tree here, and I drew a tree on, on the the board like this and then I said okay what kind of fruit do we have on this tree and I said well we have the fruit of criticism and uh, because I heard a lot about that and the the fruit of of uh, Insecurity, it showed itself in a variety of ways. And the fruit of, of uh, judging others. And, and then I said, now, I, I don't know you. But looking at this fruit, let me just guess what is underneath. And underneath, you got something, if you went down there, it almost looks like the upside-down tree. You got the roots down here. And I, I shared some things that might be down there. I said, uh, I suspect you got an overbearing mother. And I, I said a, a, a few other things, and his wife started to cry. And I finished, and I, uh, I said, you know, you respond to this. And the wife spoke and said, uh, he has a terrible stepmother. And then I looked at him, and he said, when I was nine years old, my parents came to me, and they said, uh, we're getting a divorce. Take your pick. And I said, I'm very sorry. That never should have happened. We'll work with you. We'll deal with you. You can't come to the seminary just yet, but I want you to take eight months and get healed so that you're ready to come to the seminary. He did it. 
he got healed, he came and he graduated. So it was a real victory. Now, behind the fruit is the root, or as a guy on the radio that I heard talking about, behind the deed is the need. Some people will see this, and that's all they need to fire away. Pharisees, they see what's out there, and they take their guns out, and they use judgment, and they have no idea what is underneath the surface. On the other hand, you've got someone like a Jesus who sees this and says something strange like, I'm coming to your house today. I want to spend some time with you. No one else is saying that because they don't like him because he has problems. He has issues. He's filthy rich. He steals. He asks for more money than he should. And so it makes them nervous, and they don't want him in church. But Jesus does. And he had some interesting things to say about fruit and about the root and about deeds and needs. So if you re react too quickly to this, whether in marriage or in ministry, or in relationships, you're going to miss a lot. Do you hear what I'm saying? So listen to a couple scriptures. We'll start with Matthew 9. And thank you, Steve, for what you shared. So Jesus passed on from there, and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. When, that's in Matthew 9, verse 9. I think when Jesus said, follow me, I think his buddies went like this. <laughs> There's a major disconnect. Because this guy is infamous. He takes money. He doesn't give it. He, he's a taker. And Jesus said, follow me. That's because Jesus not only knows the fruit, but he knows the root. And he's going to do something with Matthew. Can you imagine having the New Testament without the book of Matthew? The incredible gospel, the first gospel, and had Jesus not been open to call Matthew, we wouldn't see it. But because he could see behind the fruit to the root and not judge him for the fruit. The Pharisees judge him. Listen to what they say. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, not to Jesus, his disciples, what did, they, what did he say? Do you remember it? Why does this, your teacher, eat with tax collectors and sinners? 
They're getting them, huh? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And then listen to this one. This is a powerful statement. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Think about that. Sacrifice is central to the whole Old Testament system. Sacrifice is what they did. Sacrifice is why they came once a year to, the, to Jerusalem because they were going to give their sacrifice. It's called the Passover. That was central to them. And Jesus said, that's not what I want. I want you to show a little mercy to one another. And here's what that says. If you are not connected on the horizontal, you certainly aren't connected on the vertical. If you think you got this right, but you don't have this right, you ain't got neither of them right. If you love God, it's just people you can't stand, you're in trouble with Jesus. Because he loves people and he goes after the broken, the needy, the rotten, the cast out, and brings them in. And he loves, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That's incredible. But John picked it up, and he said, if you have trouble loving the people that you see, you're going to have trouble loving God. So relational Christianity is Jesus' brand of Christianity, where we connect, where we draw in people. Let's look at a couple other passages. Luke 15. So the prodigal is out in the far country. Why did he go? I've got a little idea. I think because of his elder brother. He, he had a crummy elder brother. And he, didn't, he hated being around home. He liked his dad, but he, he said, I'm, t- I'm getting out of here. I can't stand this place. I'm, I'm going out. What, what brought him back? But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's servants have more than enough bread, and I perish here with hunger? I'll arise and go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. What got him to go back? His father. He knew what his father was like, and he wanted to come back. And... He got far, close enough so that his father saw him. That was enough for the father. He went after him because God pursues broken people. God doesn't say, I'll wait till they come in. Sadly, the church sometimes is the fellowship of the believe, believing, but it's hard to get in. If you believe, you can belong. Jesus says it the opposite. You can belong. So you can believe. And that's what we need to say. You're welcome here. You belong here. We like you here. And we'll help you to believe. So you belong in order to believe. So he comes back. And sure enough, you know, he starts in on his confession. Father, I've sinned against heaven. And before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father interrupted him. He could have said, wait, I'm not done with my confession. That's all he needed to hear. And he starts bringing on 
The very things that, what did he want out in the far country? He wanted a party. He's just going to get one now. He wanted fancy clothes. He got them. He wanted new shoes. He got them. Didn't get them out there. He got a pig pen. But he got them when he came home. He's thinking, what an idiot I was. Why did I go? I had it all at home with my father. However, he also had an older brother that was very good at judgment, that was very not good at seeing behind the fruit to the root, behind the deed to the need. Jesus does, and he says, they that are sick need a physician. And so that's my question for you, for me, for Lydia House. Can we see behind the fruit to the root? Can we welcome people into our heart, into our home, into our future, into our life, into our church, into our party? Or is there some kind of reaction that we have? Because they're different. I mean, they... Ah, we had someone at Trinity, an incredible testimony. They had two children. And then the doctor said, uh, it's not going to go good if you have another child. And they had two abortions that they told no one about. Because they were afraid. If they told anybody, they might have gotten scowled. They might have gotten shut out. So I can't remember what, whether it was a morning or an evening. I think it might have been a Wednesday night. They shared their story. And we were all in tears. They were scared to death. But they were among us, hoping we wouldn't find out that they'd have two abortions. And they got love, praise the Lord. They got acceptance. And it was an incredible night to be able, hey, I don't believe in abortions. You don't either. But I believe in broken people that need healing. And so they were able to step out of their fear and share something that, you know, had you, you had a Pharisee there, he would have come down on them pretty hard. They would have, they, they, and so you got this elder brother's out in the field, and he won't come in. And then listen to what he says. All, he doesn't even call him dad. He calls him look. And all these years I've slayed for you and never disobeyed your command. Give me a break. You just obeyed it. Did it, disobeyed it right there. You're not coming in. He was clueless as to his own sin. And those that don't see the root and don't see the need are clueless as to the things that are, are in their heart, their life. Like the Pharisees, Jesus said, you are murderers. You are adulterers. You are hypocrites. You, you do all of it, but then you hide it. And that's what you do. If you do not see the need, if you do not see the root, then Jesus calls you a hypocrite. And he came to heal broken people. 
Anybody broken here? I'm broken. I need help. Paul, there are two of us at least. <laughs> Paul, it's you and me, buddy. We'll stick together. So I want to learn from Jesus to give grace to people. Because if I give them grace, God will give them truth. It says in John 1, uh, of his fullness, no, uh, he was full of grace and truth, and of his fullness we have all received, it says, grace upon grace. He had both grace and truth, but what they received from him was grace, 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 grace. grace. And that released them to come into the truth about themselves. Why was the younger brother able to confess his sin? Because he had a father who was so kind. He knew he'd be received. What am I sitting out here for? I can go home. I know. I'll be received. And sure enough, he knew his father. And he had an elder brother who was a jerk and couldn't see behind the fruit to the root. Why did he leave? If I had an elder brother like that, I probably would have left too. So we want to, there's one, one more I want to show you. Uh, it's uh, flip over a couple pages to Luke 19, and you've got Zacchaeus, and he's small, and he's rich, and he's running ahead to see Jesus. And do these people like him? They hate him. Because he has taken money. He's a thief. He's taken more money than he had a right to take. And is that wrong? Absolutely it's wrong. So why would Jesus want to meet with him? He wanted to meet him with him so much, he said, I must stay at your house today. Wow, that's pretty strong words. And so he came into his house. And what happens? And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. It's so quick to see the fruit and not the root. But Jesus looks right underneath, and he says, this guy is going to be a phenomenal giver. And he's excited about going into his home, setting him free, and then watching him do his stuff. And he stands up in the presence of Jesus, and he says, Lord, half of my goods... Okay, he's a rich guy. Half of my goods, I give to the poor. Do you think he paid off? Of course he did. And if I've defrauded anyone, which probably most of the people, I will return it four times. So picture this. Zacchaeus is going around Jericho, knocking on doors. They go to the door, and then they run. Zacchaeus is at the door. He's probably asking for more money. And they, the guy comes back, what do you want? I want to give you back four times what I took. Oh, sure you do. No, I really do. I really do. Jesus is helping me. And so he does that to 50 houses in Jericho. The word gets out. I mean, they might have had a revival in Jericho because of Zach. The rich guy, who's no longer quite as rich as he was, because he's given 
He gave away half of it, and now he's giving away four, four times what he took. So he, he may go on welfare, <laughs> but he's really happy because he knows Jesus. So how about you? I, I don't want to you know, judge ahead of time. I've been trapped in that. I know you have too. But I would rather say, God, is there some root, is there some reason for this that is causing this person? That doesn't let that person off the hook, by the way. That doesn't say, okay, then we don't deal with it. No, we do deal with it. But when we understand, we're willing to give grace, and we don't have to kill them with the truth. And if we give them grace, they will come to the truth. Sound good? Okay. Did you hear the question? You know, can we, can we give them grace without giving them permission just to keep going on sinning? And that, that is a risk. I think that is a risk that we have to take in, in extending grace. I think there, there is that possibility. Grace is powerful. But grace without truth is sentimental, and truth without grace is brittle, and so we need both. But if we give grace, hopefully they will come to the truth, which is the example we heard in these, in these three places. We heard it with Zacchaeus. We heard it with Matthew. We heard it with the... And so there seems to be a pattern that when you're dealing, you're dealing with people who are willing to be honest and, and you give them grace, it, it, it appears that it works. So what he didn't do, because I was rebelling against my parents, I was um, stubborn, angry, just all the things that were, you know, defining like a young rebellious teenager. What he didn't do is say, Paul, what you're doing is okay. He said, no, you're a leader. You're one that is very intelligent. And he just spoke destiny into my heart. And then he said, okay, what is not okay, though, is that you're rebelling against your father and you need to go and repent. And then he coached me through that and empowered me to walk that out. So the difference between the world and what the Bible teaches is empowering someone and speaking truth and identity into their nature, which then gives them courage to overcome the sin versus live in it. Because the reality of what Jesus says is if you come to me and you learn from my humility, that's where the power comes in. And the lower you go, the more grace you get. He gives grace to the humble. And so encouraging young adults, people in that struggle and that sin to overcome 
the pain as opposed to just live in it and be a victim is where the healing comes from. That's the difference between the world and the Bible is the world would just say, well, you need to be free to live your life out and find you who you are and all that, which is nonsense. That doesn't work because then you're just exploring sin and, you know, whatever. There's really no hope in that. The hope is in saying, okay, this is who you are in Christ, and he loves you while you're dark. He calls you lovely. Um, but there's there's a greater sense of reality in living in victory versus living in, in victimization. Does that help? I'd call that a good answer. The way we love. So we're gonna we're gonna pray together. Thanks for that question. And then afterwards, just invite you to spin around. It can be one other person or a couple other people, and pray for one another specifically regarding what we just talked about. I don't think any of us want to be like a Pharisee. We don't want to. Uh, we don't want to play that game. We want to be real, uh, but we really want to show love. For people who are broken and who feel that they're going to be rejected if they come and if they expose what they're really like. So thank you, Father, that you receive us in our brokenness. And then you, like Paul said, you go to work on us and you help us to change. Thank you that you're not finished with us. you got more to do. And uh, we thank you that you're at work, and you're doing a good work. We love what you are doing, and we say keep doing it in our midst. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and grant you his peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.